The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Welcome to Sunday School. It's always a beautiful day to be in God's house. Amen. Um, all right, so the title of the message this morning is Nobody's Perfect. Nobody is Perfect. Uh, the message this morning is kind of uh, one of those that, uh, uh, it's a tough, tough message, I think. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, we'll have, to, we'll have to hang with it a little bit, but it's not, it's not a nice message. I guess is what I mean. It's not one of those messages that makes any of us feel good, but yet it is needful, it's necessary, because it's in the Word of God. So, um, last time I was with you, which has been a while, we talked about a particular revelation. We talked about the revelation of God, and we specifically talked about how God has revealed to all mankind um, Himself, And he, we talked about two key areas, or two main areas, uh, where God has done that. And we said, one, in creation. And we said, two, um, in, uh, uh, by giving us a, a conscience, right? By writing his law upon each one of our hearts. Yes, even the unsaved man. This is why the unsaved man, even in the darkest, far-out places in the world, knows what is right and wrong. And what I mean by that knows what God has determined, right, is right and wrong. All right, so that was the revelation of God. And now uh, this morning I want to talk to you, uh, uh, which I believe God has, has laid upon my heart to talk to you about, the revelation of God's wrath, the revelation of God's wrath. So now you know why I said, <laughs> kind of pre-warns you that, Maybe this is not the nicest message or the easiest. It's not the easiest message to teach either, by the way. All right. So the theme this morning is that no one is exempt from God's judgment. No one is exempt from God's judgment. Now, there's all sorts of exemptions today for all sorts of different things, right? But God's judgment is not one of them. God's condemnation is not one of them that any of us, any man can be exempt from. Certainly nobody is perfect. You can ask my wife, and she'll tell you I'm not perfect. She definitely is my better, my better half, for sure. And I'm not just saying that because my father-in-law is sitting, <laughs> sitting right there. Uh, but that, that may be part of it. You can ask my family. I'm not perfect with them. I'm not perfectly patient like I you know, need to be, um, more so for sure, uh, other members of my family, my co-workers, they could tell you probably many of my, many of my faults, right? Fellow church members, you all have been here serving with me in the Lord for a long, long time, and you've, you've seen that I am definitely not perfect. And, uh, and, and thank you for your grace, right, for showing me your grace in this area, and I will be sure to extend that, that grace to you as well, because you are not perfect either, are you? <laughs> no, you're not. So we extend grace to each other. So we strive, though. We, we do strive for perfection in every area of life because we know this is God-honoring, God right? This is what 
honors God. So we strive for that, but we fall short, don't we? Adam was the perfect man in his original state, which is maybe hard for us to kind of conceive, right, or, or understand, but the Bible tells us that that is, in fact, the case. Adam was the perfect man in his original state. He had no sinful nature. Yet Adam, even in that perfect state, still chose to sin against God. In fact, it's because of Adam's disobedience to God that sin and death by sin entered into the world. Romans 5.19 tells us, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Though we know we are not perfect, and furthermore the Scriptures reveal to us very clearly the fact that we are not perfect, it is not an excuse for us to sin against God. Romans 1.20 abbreviated says, So they are without excuse. It is not God's purpose to give us an out for sin, to give us an excuse, nor to make us feel better by easing our God-given conscience because we have not sinned. And specifically, of course, sin against Him. When we sin, we sin against God. Romans one thirty-two again abbreviated, who knowing the judgment of God, so that even the most hardened sinner knows that God will judge him. Even the most hardened sinner has no doubt of the judgment of God. God's purpose is to show us our true standing before Him. The holy, righteous, just, and perfect One. And it is a very low state indeed. And I use so many of those terms because I really feel like you, aren't, you can't use enough terms, right, to uh, describe the holiness of God and the perfection of God. Man has no standing. Man has no rank with God. No, not in the flesh. Revelations 3.17 Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And when I was reading this, what does that remind you of? The American dream, the American lifestyle, though, too, right? The materialism that really permeates the American lifestyle. We're rich. We're rich, right? Even the poorest person here in America is rich, right? In many countries. We're wealthy. We have all, we have all the material needs, right? I say needs. We have all the material things that we could ever need, right? And beyond, in most cases, in most societies. But here, this is written long before, right? Revelation 3, that America even existed. So it's certainly not to America, Americans only. And, uh, and, and uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been an ongoing problem, right? It's been, a, it's been a continuous problem throughout mankind. It's a problem for all, all men, this materialism. The Bible is on to say here, And knowest not that thou art... This is our true state, right? Our true spiritual condition before God. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor. We're paupers. We're paupers before God. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, I'm blind and what? Naked. It's as if we're naked. Nothing. We come before God as nothing, right? We're naked before him. 
So is man apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. True believers, that is the sheep that follow him, on the other hand, though complete and fully clothed in Jesus Christ, having everything and in need of nothing, through his vicarious atonement, his substitutionary satisfaction for our sin, account ourselves as wretched, as the Apostle Paul did. On account of our indwelling sin, and the plague of our own sinful hearts. But the unsaved man is not so, being lifted up with pride in rebellion against God. As we continue our study in Romans, as we are this morning, the Lord's intention is to show us through the Scriptures just how imperfect and spiritually bankrupt the unregenerate man actually is is because of their sins, having nothing to offer God for the satisfaction of their offenses. As a consequence, under the righteous government of God, man can pos- cannot possibly be exempted from his judgment. That is, the punitive justice of God. So, what I'm saying is, if sin is evil, and it is, and if God is righteous, and he is, then God must punish sin. Do you understand that? Let's get a drink here. Excuse me. All right, so this is what we call a moral axiom, okay? Or a self-evidencing truth. As the whole is greater than a part, or things which are equal to the same thing are equal to one another. God finds man severely and very tragically wanting. There is nothing any person can do to earn a place in heaven, yet sadly and mistakenly, many are wedded to this belief. Many religions, false religions, right, teach this very thing, which is a perversion at least on two fronts. And that is, one, it's perverting the holiness of God. That is just how holy God is. And the second perversion is that it's perverting the depravity of man. Just how sinful man is. So you see how man errs on each side, right? Gives God less credit than God deserves and gives man more credit than man deserves. Do you see that? Alright, so our text verses this morning, we're going to be looking at, you know, three primary verses, is Romans chapter 3. If you would turn to verses 10 through 12, we're going to start in verse 12. First we'll read it, and then we'll, we'll kind of see what hidden pearls and treasures God has for us to dig out of, out of the, his word this morning. So, What I would like to do too, before I start, and again, that's Romans 3, starting in verse 10. I'd like you to take note of the repetition in these verses. These verses are very repetitious. And they're, you know, God intends this for a reason. And of course, God used Paul to write these words, but they're God's words. And God uses this repetition for a very uh, distinct reason. With a very, um, you know, uh, with a purposeful intention. So, uh, please. And I'll, I'll try to emphasize that as we read it. All right, Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. 
See the repetition? There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all, all men, gone out of the way. They are together. That's all, all men, by the way, again. Become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Do you see that? Lots of repetition there. So God is trying to make a clear point, which we're going to go into greater detail, so that there's absolutely no doubt that what God is talking about is all men, not just Jews, not just Gentile, all men are uh, unrighteous before him. So the context of Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, was to teach the Jews that they were no better than the Gentiles, which they very much thought they were, being equally corrupt and depraved, regardless of their ancestry and spiritual position, regardless of their spiritual advantages, being the chosen people of God and of their strict cleaving to the law and efforts towards religious perfection, their own perceived righteousness, trying to earn their righteousness from God, God reveals the Jews were not inherently just before him and somehow, therefore, immune to his judgment and in a more generalized sense also reveals the corrupt state and condition of all of mankind. Looking closer at verse 10, the Bible says that it is written, there is none righteous. Or in other words, what God is saying here is that none are actually righteous, right? Now some may proclaim to be self-righteous, but what God, God's not talking about that. God is talking about people who, in his eyes, are actually righteous. And the Bible tells us here that there are none that are actually righteous. There are uh, a righteousness, in other words, that emanates, excuse me, from themselves. Absolutely a righteousness, right, that is, uh, makes a person absolutely innocent, absolutely holy and just in and of themselves, therefore without sin. However, God says, not so. Man is universally depraved. Bible goes on to say in verse 10, no, not one. No, not one. So again, God is adding this for emphasis. And as we go through these verses, you'll see that You'll see that theme, you'll see that pattern in each single verse. Is there anyone who has not sinned and is in perfect conformity to God's law? Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Who can say that? Ecclesiastes 7:20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And that was the wisdom of Solomon, right? If anybody had wisdom, Solomon had wisdom. And yet, what did Solomon say? There's none that doeth good. There's none that sinneth not. Romans 3.19 Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. And this has to do with all men. Yes, specifically, this is written to the Jews, but all men are under the law and are therefore guilty before God, are therefore condemned. The Bible goes on to tell us why. Why was the law written? That every mouth may be stopped. 
You ever meet someone who's a bragger and won't close their mouth, putting it nicely? Well, even that person's mouth, right, is stopped before God, right? So that there is no, there is no justification. There is no bragging about how, you know, righteous or good you are, right? Not a word can be spoken. Amen? 1 John 1.10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Is man so blasphemous as to call God a liar in order to dismiss his sin? And I would say to you, yes, man is. Again, notice the repetition of the scriptures for emphasis and clarity. It really can't be any clearer here. And uh, in fact, one commentator said, if it is not clear, then there are no words in the English language (laughs) that could possibly make this clear, right? There are none righteous, no, not one, etc., 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 right? Logically, it follows that a person who doesn't do good or at any time has not done good is not altogether, completely, thoroughly, and perfectly righteous. Therefore, if there is no one on earth that does good because they do not sin, there is none righteous upon the earth. No, not one single person. There is no one who is justified of their own righteousness, in whole or in part, presently nor when they enter into eternity and bow before the Lord for judgment. The righteousness of the saints, the righteousness of the saints is not in our works to any degree, but has been imputed to us through Jesus Christ. By him for us, on our behalf, on our account. The sinless Son of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him, God the Father, hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. Christ having no sin, of course. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Our righteousness is all of God and none of man to his glory. Verse 11. There is none that understandeth. No man, no Jew, no Gentile. Man has no spiritual knowledge and understanding of God or the things of God, such as the deeper truths of God, like the depth of our depravity that we've been talking about this morning, the way of salvation through Christ, the intricacies, you might say, of the gospel, though it is a seemingly simple message, yet profound. How to worship God. No man has understanding of these things. Ephesians 4.18, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness or the hardness of their heart. 
The human intellect is, is as erring as the human heart. And we go all the way back, we think of Romans, we think of the Greeks and the Romans, the Stoics and so forth, who sought after knowledge, who thought that they could discover God or find God, right, through knowledge. And even in the Age of Enlightenment, right, in the 17th and 18th centuries, that's what this was all about, right? Finding God through logic and rationalization and so forth. But it is a great error, the Scriptures tell us. Our understanding has been corrupted by our sin, by our depravity. It has been blinded and perverted, spiritually speaking, making us, as God says, fools. We can no more find truth, we can no more find understanding of God than holiness when we are estranged from God. And I like what Charles Hodge said about this. He said, even as we lose both light and heat when we depart from the sun. Romans 8, 7, because the, the carnal mind is enmity. Now, a lot of times when we We've, we've all heard this verse, Romans 8, 7. We've, we've heard this word enmity, and we think of being alienated from God, or at least I do, right? We, we, I think we all know that this certainly includes alienation, but this word here, enmity, is much more than just alienation from God. It is an active, I, I would like you to think of it more as an active, active hatred against God, because that's what it means. Hatred itself. Hateful of and to God, opposing God at every turn. So because the carnal mind, Romans 8, 7, is enmity against God, it's so far from seeking after God. For it is not subject to the law of God, hating and despising God's law. Neither indeed can be, being dead in sin, therefore having no strength to obey the law, the carnal mind is not, nor can it be, subject to the law of God, being in direct opposition to it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them. And I remember before I was saved, and you know, I remember when the gospel was first shared with me, I thought it was foolishness, right? I did. I remember mocking the preacher and mocking others. It is foolishness, right, to the unsaved man. The Bible goes on to say here in 1 Corinthians 2.14, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Without God giving us spiritual uh, grace, right, and saving us, regenerating us, and giving us spiritual understanding, we cannot understand the things of God these deeper truths that we were talking about earlier. It is the carnal man's enmity against God and complete inability to please God that necessitates God's almighty power and efficacious grace in conversion. It being the will of God for man to glorify him. That is man's purpose, and that was why man was created, right? To glorify God. It is Christ's work to free men from their enslavement to sin and bring them under subjection to God's law, which is accomplished when Christ justifies them by his own righteousness. 
So continuing on here in verse 11, there is none, and I underline that word none. <laughs> it's that repetition, right, that keeps speaking of. There is none that seeketh after God. To seek, to, to seek after means to seek after diligently, to regard and desire Him. Do you desire God this morning? I said earlier, I'm not perfect. I don't always desire God like I should. But I know that as a Christian, that that's how my heart should be, right? That's how I should be. <laughs> it's wanted to desire to seek after God. So, to regard and desire Him, to worship the true God, who He really is. Not just worship God, but who God is tells us he really is in the scriptures, his attributes, and so forth. Rather than a God made in man's own image, to worship him in sincerity of heart and under the direction and assistance of the Holy Spirit, rather than by bodily exercise, which the Jews were so well known for, and really today still well known for. 1 Timothy 4.8 4, talks about bodily exercise. And what does that mean? It means a formal, external worship. It means religion as opposed to true spiritual worship. John 4.23-24 through 24 teaches us we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. Again, sincere, heartfelt worship with singleness of heart to the true God, Jesus Christ, and to His truth as revealed to us by the Word of God. This is true spiritual worship in distinction and opposition to all hypocrisy. Is it any wonder that those who do not seek after God miss the right way? When God created man, He set man in the right way in his own image. But man has forsaken God's way. Man's depravity, in other words, man's corruption, his fatal flaw. And notice I did not say defect. God doesn't make mistakes. This is of man's own choosing. Man's depravity is actually an apostasy from God. A turning away, a defection, and a habitual one at that. Even as Christians, right? We sin against God, don't we? A turning away from God's original creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 31. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he uh, them, in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And I so appreciate the fact that the Bible doesn't just say good there. What does it say? Very good. You see that? There's a strong emphasis placed on that, right? There's no doubt 
that everything that God made, including man, he made perfectly. Amen? And the evening and the morning were the sixth day, and on the seventh day, the Bible says God rested, right? All creation was completed perfectly. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. I feel like this is like the sad, tragic, you know, like a, like a story, a movie, book. You're getting to the end, and the book ends, right? The story ends in tragedy, but it's not a story. It's a, it's a, real, it's a real event, right? A real thing that took place and affected all of mankind. Genesis chapter 3, 9 through 11. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Who art thou? Or where art thou? Sorry. Verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. See, Adam had regular fellowship with God, right? He was very intimate with God, right? And in this particular circumstance, using, you know, our terms so we can understand it, God's looking for Adam, right? Adam! Adam, where are you? You ever call for your kids and they know they're in trouble and you can't find them? So God is calling for his child. He's calling for Adam. Adam, where art thou? And Adam comes up with a, what he thinks is a good excuse, like often children do, right? And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And in verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Now why would he be afraid of God? And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? <laughs> Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee? Where I I told you not to? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat of? Shouldest not eat? So Adam, Adam is representative as our federal head of what every one of us would have done had we been in his position. We ought not to think ourselves that somehow better than Adam, or somehow we would have done things differently than Adam. No, we would not have. And that's why we are judged in him. God knows these things, does he not? Adam is representative as our federal head of what every one of us would have done had we been in his position. We would have turned from God, and we would have sought our own way. Beginning with Adam, every man has sought his own way. John Gill said this, that there are none who seek him chiefly, and in the first place, with their whole hearts, earnestly, diligently, and constantly. And I hope if you're a Christian that this is even convicting to you, right? I hope you're not just looking over this. Because I think this is, is very, it's very challenging. It's very, it's very convicting. who seek Him in Christ and under the assistance of the Spirit, who seek after the knowledge of God in Christ, communion with Him through the Mediator, capital M, Jesus Christ, 
or his honor and glory. How are you doing this morning with this? Yeah, we all have work to do, don't we? We all have work to do. No man will seek after God without God first performing an operation on the heart, without performing some heart surgery. A work of regeneration in the heart. And what I mean by that is in the immaterial man, by the Holy Spirit, bringing them to spiritual life. And no man is deserving or meritorious of this gift of God's grace. If you are a child of God this morning, it is not because you are in some way better or more deserving than others prior to your salvation, which caused you to be meritorious of God's saving grace. We need to understand that. All that leads is for us to think that we're somehow better of those who are unsaved, of those who don't, don't know God. Yeah, we deserved it. I guess they didn't. Right? Verse 12. They are all, all men here, they are all gone out of the way. To go out of the way means to deviate, to avoid, to flee from, to eschew. Man has went out of the way of our original sinless state and condition. And not only that, but we have went out of the way of God and His commands. We have chosen, right, to sin against God. Each one of us has, aside from the right way of holiness and righteousness, God has given us. Man is to eschew evil, but what does man do? Instead, we what? We eschew God, right? We avoid. We run from God. And I know that I think we may all be safe people here this morning, but certainly we, we did that before our salvation, and unsaved men do that now. The Bible goes on to say in verse 12, they are together become unprofitable. That word unprofitable means to render useless, to spoil or corrupt. The imagery is rotting, stinking flesh. As rotting flesh is good for nothing, for everything that is corrupted loses its use. It's not as useful as it once was, is it? Men corrupted by sin, men that have forsaken God, have rendered themselves useless to God in worship and in service to their neighbor and even to themselves. The Bible goes on to say, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Not a just man on the earth that does good and sins not, that meets the requirement of God's law. Therefore, man is universally spiritually useless apart from the grace of God, being totally and completely enslaved by sin. Matthew Henry said, even in those actions of sinners that have some goodness in them, there is a fundamental error in the principle and end. In other words, what he's saying is motive and their motive and purpose for doing that good work. So that it may be said, there is none that doeth good. 
Man is not good because we all sin, and unsaved men are not good even when they do good because their good is not performed with the sole purpose to glorify Jesus Christ and for no other motivation. Many do good works for God to earn a place in heaven for themselves, not with the singular purpose to glorify God. We know that even the best of Christians, what we would consider the most spiritual of men, and sometimes I wonder if there is such a thing, but I'm speaking strictly in the spiritual sense. Those of us who are saved are spiritual. But we know that even the best of Christians, the most spiritual of men, do not always live a sin-free life. We must depend upon the Lord daily for our strength and for victory. I want to, uh, I have to close here. I had some other stuff, but I just want to mention in Psalm 14 from the Old Testament, if you uh, have some time, maybe compare Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Uh, There's other places in Scripture like Isaiah 53 and so forth. But if you compare Romans, what we're looking at, the Scriptures we're looking at now, Romans 3, 10 through 12, I mean, it's it's like a side-by-side comparison there. It's it's kind of interesting to do that. And literally, you might say verse by verse, starting in verse 10 and then 11 and 12. But uh, I do need to, to close here. So to sum up what I've attempted to say this morning, what I've attempted to expound upon is that God is a God of punitive justice. We like to think of God as, right, the world likes to think of God as a loving God. I think Christians, we fall into this trap quite a bit. We don't like to think about God being a a God of punishment, a punitive God, do we? And it is that sinful nature. We still have that Old nature, warring against our new nature, even though we're saved, right? And it's that that old nature, warring against our new nature. We don't like to think of God as a God of wrath, a God of punishment. But if we're truly going to be faithful to the Scriptures and honest with the Scriptures, we cannot avoid that fact. God is loving But we serve a God of holiness. We serve a righteous God. A just God. And he's a God of justice. God is a a God of punitive justice, and sin is a proper object of punishment. Therefore, it will be punished by God. He has revealed his righteousness and wrath to all men so that no one is exempted from or excused from his judgment. This is the basis, the foundation of the doctrine of justification. We must be saved from God's wrath. And we must be saved by God alone. I just want to close with some scripture here. Ephesians 2.8-9 For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the bragger, right? The religious bragger. Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. If you're saved this morning, you know we stand in the grace of God. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, 23 through 24, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 4, 23 through 25, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 4, 23 through 25, Sorry, now it was not written for him, His sake alone, that is Abraham's, that it was imputed to him, that is righteousness by faith. Verse 24, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if you've received the Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, His righteousness has been imputed to you. To whom it shall be imputed if we believe on Him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And then lastly is Romans 6, 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It seems so clear in the Scriptures, doesn't it? When we go through it systematically like this, you say, how can, we, how can man miss that? Well, that's why men need the grace of God, and that's why we as Christians need God's grace daily. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do sincerely thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for choosing us for what reason we know not. But what we do know is that you are good and that you are gracious and that you are kind to save each one of us. Help us, based upon what we heard this morning, to see the need of every man, the spiritual need of every man. Help us to um, see, perhaps, like never before, how important it is to share the gospel so that you will save men. And we thank you in advance for using us in this area, for giving us the opportunity to be a part of sharing this wonderful grace, this magnificent grace. And we just praise your name now, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.